Now we will go to Jonathan Kahn, Return of the Gods, number two. Now, here's a letter from someone else concerning Jonathan Kahn. said, I just finished reading Jonathan Kahn's book, Returning uh, the Return of the Gods. He raises some interesting points, but he is wrong on several things. You can tell he's a Jewish Protestant. Very interesting indeed. Okay. I've never really thought that the gods of Babylon were demons that took up where Nimrod and Semiramis left off. Well, that's true. And they're everywhere. Now, Jonathan Kahn says that when Christianity through Constantine came to the world, the gods were sent away. Well, where did they go? A lot of them went to Rome and went underground secretly to be there. Okay? A good number of them went to Spain. And did you know there's a sect of people in Spain that believe that Jesus didn't die? And that the disciples stole away the body before he died and they took him to Spain, and he's somewhere buried in a field out, out where the, the cult of the Brotherhood of the Bloods. So if you've ever watched that on television, watch that, the Brotherhood of the Bloods. Okay, They believe that the body of Jesus is out there somewhere in Spain. Okay, Now, but where, where did they go? because some of those practices of child sacrifice and various other things that they did, as he explains in the book here, I think a lot of them went to Central and South America with the Aztecs and, the, and the, um, those in Peru and the what was the other sect that goes along with them, but they had human sacrifices, okay? Lots of human sacrifices, I never thought of Ishtar as being an aggressive harlot huntress, and she reminds me of the harlot ruling the conglomerate beast of Revelation. Khan also writes in his last chapter that the demons divided the nations and kept them away from God. Well, that's not true. God separated the nations when he confused the languages. And when they went to where they were supposed to go, they were already worshiping Nimrod and Semiramis and Horus, the supposed divine son, through a Nimrod impregnation. Okay? Now, so he says, many thanks. Looking forward to the next message. Now, there's another one that's very interesting, too. Let me read it to you. My name is Antoine. I immigrated from the Ukraine at the time, the USSR, at that, at that time to Canada. I settled in Winnipeg at the age of 22. I'm now 68. I belong to the Catholic Church. Being Catholic, I considered myself rather Christian, who loved the truth and 
had many unanswered questions from the Holy Scriptures. So it also brings up a question of how many Catholics are out there unhappy with what's going on in the Catholic Church that may be reading the Bible, that may be following along with, with uh, our website and, and church at home. Okay, Now, I've done a series of five church at homes on Satan out of the closet. Okay. Randyville just finished number three and posted it. So be sure and watch that because that helps explain a lot of things that we're going to cover here too. Okay. So he says, after many years of reading the Bible and praying, God led me to uh, Church of God International. And after three or four months, God led me with a group of brethren of CBCG. Before my baptism, I affiliated only with CBCG for approximately four years. Your sermons, teachings, and many publications provide me with needed spiritual food for me to grow. God gave me the love of the truth, and that's essential for conversion. The love of the truth. Now then, we will see. Jonathan Kahn does not talk about conversion. And he does not talk about baptism. And he does not call Jesus the Christ, as I mentioned last week. He uses the name Yeshua or Yeshua. However, the New Testament was written in Greek, not Hebrew. And Paul's decided mission was to keep traditional Judaism out of the churches of God. That's why he was called someone so dedicated to the traditions. See? So we'll examine what Jonathan Kahn says here in a little bit. Okay. Then he led me to receive and accept the love of the truth. I was baptized April 6, 2008 by Wayne Stenhouse and Norbert Borner. I pray for many things. Among them, I pray for spiritual discernment, for understanding of God's teachings, his will and plans, this is why I am with you personally with your teachings and explanations and with CBCG after almost 20 years of listening to your teaching. See, that's why. Remember this. What we always need is the truth, the truth, and the truth. See? Very important. Just like Russell Kemp brought out, the teachings and commandments of men can never replace the teachings and commandments of God the Father and Jesus Christ in the Bible. See? Now that's very important. Very important. We'll see that. Okay? Because we're going to find out whether Jonathan Kahn is a prophet of God 
a half a prophet? Now, someone asked me, well, how come you say half a prophet? <laughs> how can that be? And I answered him, I said, because he prophesies certain things or speaks of certain things that are true, but he doesn't bring the full solution of God. So can you have half the solution of God and solve the problem? Well, the answer obviously is no. Christ did not die half a body. Okay. Let's go on. This is very interesting here. He said, through your teachings, I have learned not to run to a minister with every question I have. You taught me how to find the answer. Prayer, study, and ask God to help me to find the correct answer. See? And that's why we have the Holy Bible in the original order, a faithful version. Now, when we send that out, we send Albert Ackerman's seven-year study going through 27 translations of the New Testament. And he shows, and has it all charted out, what they leave out, what they change, and it's amazing what they have done. So he says, my long sort of introduction gives you an idea of who I am. The reason I'm writing to you is about Jonathan Kahn. Okay? I saw Jonathan Kahn on three religious channels. I do what you do. Flip through channels for several uh, minutes just for the sake of knowing what they are teaching. Okay? So he says, number one was Sid Roth's Supernatural Program. How many have heard of Sid Roth's Supernatural Program? You have? Yeah, she knows it. Yes. Yes, our our detective here is Darlene Redaway. She snoops them all out. <laughs> Even including Jimmy Baker. See? He's you can look at it this way. Most of the Protestant ministers fall into the category of halfway ministers or false teachers. One of the best of the teachers of the Protestants, Charles Stanley. Now he died about a week ago or 10 days ago. And he was one of the few, though he was a Sunday keeper and a holiday keeper, which told people to trust in Christ. But notice, Protestants today very rarely baptize. If you're not baptized for the remission of your sins, do you think you're going to enter the kingdom of God? We'll see a little bit here. Okay. 
He said, this program is deceiving, and Jonathan Kahn was just there enthusiastically promoting his new book that you talked about on CBCG live stream on Sabbath, April 22nd, uh, 2023. Number two, Jewish Voice. That is a Messianic program, again promoting his book. They use the terminology like Jewish Jesus. Now, he was from the house of David. He was from the tribe of Judah. So he was a Jew because of that. But he was not Jewish because Jewish means following the traditions of the Jews. So what did he do? Mark 7. He rejected them, right? And how many times have we covered that? He said, full well you reject the commandments of God that you may keep your own traditions. Now that becomes important when we look at Jonathan Kahn as well. Okay. Number three on Daystar, I also saw in one of his Jewish programs showing his elaborate Passover ceremony. Now, I would like someone to do, maybe Jonathan can do that, do a Google search and send it to me so I can watch it. Jonathan Kahn Passover service. Okay. Because he said that the things that they use are that obviously is not the Passover. See. And he even mentioned that Jonathan Kahn, and he said he'd check it out, had a grapefruit as part of what went on. They do the Seder, yes. See, now the Jews rarely say we keep the Passover because God killed the firstborn of the Egyptians. They say we keep the Passover because we left Egypt. Well, the truth is they couldn't leave Egypt until God killed the firstborn of the Egyptians, both man and beast. See? And we know for sure Jonathan Kahn keeps what? A 15th Passover, right? When did Jesus keep the Passover? We know on the 14th as the day began. Okay. And he died at 3 p.m. on the 14th, the Passover day. Now, a little sidebar on that. Many people say, oh, isn't that interesting that Jesus died at the time that the Jews were killing their Passover lambs for the 15th? Wrong. Because when Jesus died, what happened? Three hours before that, it was dark. Supernatural darkness. Then at three o'clock, he died. The ninth hour. And what happened? The veil covering the front of the temple was ripped in two from top to bottom, 72 feet long, made of woven linen about that thick. And the earthquake probably did a lot of damage to the temple area. So 
there could be no offerings offered when Jesus died. So much for a man-made theory on Jesus and the sacrificial lambs. And you get the Passover book. Now, let me just again encourage you. We don't know how long or when live streaming or internet that we have with our um, truthofgod.org and church at home and faithfulversion.org will be cut off because they can do it. Now, I'll just give you a little advertisement for next week. I'm going to bring you some astonishing things that are going to happen concerning the mark of the beast, of which many people don't know anything about. And it is going to be absolutely breathtaking. So you tune in next week. I'll finish this here, and then we'll take a break. I saw him on one Jewish program showing his elaborate Passover ceremony. And by the way, when he's with the Jews and prays, he covers his head completely with whatever that rug is that they have. They put on their heads. You see him over in Jerusalem at the Wailing Wall. They all got their heads covered. What does Jesus say about a man covering his head when he prays? He shouldn't do it. Okay? So much for the truth of God and tradition. All right, I'll finish this here. In which, if I'm not mistaken, included a grapefruit. After these four programs, every person can make up his or her own opinion about Jonathan Kahn, his teaching and agenda. And he said he appreciated the message I gave. Very good exclamation. Okay. All right. Let's go ahead and take a break. And we'll be back in 20. Welcome back to Sabbath Services. We'll continue now on Jonathan Kahn. Prophet, half prophet, or false prophet. Now, let me clarify, because I have a little information given to me at the break, that at Jonathan Kahn's Protestant connection, they do baptism. Okay? However, in this book, he never mentions it. Now, he's done an excellent job and spent two or three chapters defining how New York City is the center of all of this demonic outreach coming to America. And it is true. Wherever people leave God, Satan fills the vacuum. And this is exactly what we are seeing happening in America. So I want to focus in on 
Jonathan Kahn's solution. And we will see the absence of the word repent. The absence of the blame also being upon each individual by the wrong use of their free moral agency. Because we can choose not to have anything to do with these demonic things, and we also have to choose God's way, and we also have to choose to repent. So he says that Jesus has succeeded in time, all the ancient world and, and leaders up to this time. Then he says, but that fact reveals a critical truth. As he was in the modern world, so as much as he has been in the ancient world, the only antidote to the gods, the only answer. In other words, Yeshua is the only answer. Okay. As it was with the ancient world, so too in the modern. In him alone was the power to break the chains, pull down their strongholds, nullify their spells and curses, and set their captives free. But he doesn't explain how that is done. The infinite answer. So in order to achieve dominion, the gods had to separate the nations, cultures, and civilizations from God, also individuals. If one is separated from God, one is subject to the gods, to the power of darkness. Now that's a true statement. Okay? But the power of Yeshua Jesus is the opposite. It is the power to end separation, to remove everything that has separated us from God, starting with sin, as all have sinned. Now, he does not explain that sin is the transgression of the law, as Russell Kemp did in his opening message. And a single sin is enough to create an infinite separation from the one who is infinitely good. An infinite Separation requires an infinite answer to bridge the gap. So the only infinite life and an infinite love, the life, the love of God given to Yeshua in sacrifice on the cross can fill the gap and the separateness and bring reconciliation and redemption. Now then, if you're going to warn the world of how things are and how bad they are, then you must also give a complete solution. Okay? So he says here, concerning God, God is bent on heaven and eternal life. The message of our salvation is that Yeshua Jesus bore your judgment so that you would never have to. Now, that's not quite true. That is only if you repent and are baptized. So if he baptizes in the Protestant segment of his ministry, 
but he keeps all the Jewish traditions in his Jewish ministry, then we have two masters, Judaism and Protestantism. And what does God say about two masters? No one can serve two masters. He will either love the one and hate the other. He will either cleave to one or reject the other. Okay, let's read on. And that by salvation you are set free from all darkness, all sin, all judgment, all hell, and given life here and now and forever, heaven. It is the power to nullify the past, to end the old life, to begin anew, to be born of God, born of heaven, born again. Now, all of those are catchwords that the Protestants always use. But you see, if he doesn't explain it, his message is not complete. That's why I use the term half-prophet. So it says here, there is no life so far from God that his mercy cannot reach it. That's not a true statement unless there's repentance. There is no sin. One is committed that is so great that his forgiveness is not given still. Well, there's the unpardonable sin. He does not mention that. No bondage, no addiction, no chain is so strong that it can stand his power to break. Okay? No past so defiled, so full of guilt and shame, that his power to redeem is not still greater. No darkness so dark that his love is not deeper still. He is the light that drives out all darkness, the hope that overcomes all hopelessness, the grace that washes away all sin, guilt, and shame, the way that breaks all open every wall and barrier and makes possible what is not. Okay. Now those, that's a good mixture of words, but there are not scriptures here to back it up to show you that he's preaching the word of God. Can you make general statements to the public and that brings them to the knowledge of God? Well, that's the question. Okay. His arms are still open. His love is calling. One only has to say yes to receive it, to receive him. Why not have something about baptism? Why not have something about your own free moral agency involved in choosing these things? See? Now we'll look at a little bit how Jeremiah, a true prophet of God, approached this. Let's look at it. So he says how? It is simple as opening one's heart and life to the love of God to uh, give him one's sins and burdens, one's all, to receive him into one's life and let his presence come into one's heart. His light into the darkness, his forgiveness 
his cleansing, his word, his peace, his spirit in every part of one's life to turn away from all darkness, from all idols, from all gods, and to put one's faith in Yeshua as one's Lord and Savior and to begin following him as his disciple all the days of one life. One's life. Now, that's a true thing. But why not have some scriptures to show where it is in the Bible? Because if all of one does that reads this book and goes through the simple format of the Protestants, he's not saved. There's no way. Okay? It is simple as making him who is the only Lord, the true Lord of your life, and him who is the only true God and the true God of your life. Okay? Now, all of those are good words. Okay? Then he talks about overcoming the world. Well, you can't overcome the world unless you have the Spirit of God. He calls it the power of God, which is true. But people need to have things specifically told to them because you can take these words and read something very similar to it in any psychology book. And if you don't really come to Jesus his way with repentance and baptism, then you haven't come to him at all. Okay. The only way is by the power of God. This is truly by his power that one can stand against the gods. It is only by his love that one can overcome all hatred. Only by his grace that one can overcome all sin. Only by his hand can one break the chains of all bondage, and only by his light can one overcome the darkness of, his, of, this, of the age. True. But how? Where? What do you do other than just think and other than just pray? Okay. There is no matter how deep the darkness, the evil, or the odds, the light of God will be greater still. For God is greater than the gods, and in God is the power to overcome the power of the gods, and in his spirit is the power to overcome the spirits of the age. As for the days of the gods, one must never bow one's knees to any idol, any darkness, any evil. In days of darkness, light must not waver or weaken, but must grow stronger. And if the dark grows darker still, then the light must shine more brightly into it. And those who will not give up will, in the end, prevail. So, let's compare that with a couple of things that Jesus said. All right? Let's first of all come to Mark, the first chapter. See? And this is what it has to be. It cannot be a generalizing of Scripture without using the Scriptures. Okay. Now, it's good he said that. But after reading it, how many people will say, Oh, Lord Jesus, enter into my life. 
I want you as my Lord and Savior. I repent of my sins. And they know nothing else. They don't have the Bible. They have no one to teach them. Okay. Well, how far will that go? All right. Let's see what Jesus said here. Verse 15. And saying, the time has been fulfilled, the kingdom of God is near at hand, repent and believe the gospel. Okay? Believe the word of God. Did we hear that directly in this book? No. Okay. What did Peter say on the day of Pentecost? Repent of your sins and they will be forgiven and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. That's the first thing that has to come, right? Okay. Because as we find in Romans, the sixth chapter, this is what it is. Let's turn there again. Let's read that. We've read that several times recently, but let's go there. Romans, the sixth chapter, where Paul talks about this very thing. See? And you don't find any language in the Bible like Jonathan Kahn's language. Now, it's good words. Those are expressing truths to a good degree but not the way that Paul does, okay? So the first thing is, those who have been afflicted must come to recognize their sins. Number one, they must repent of their sins. Number two, they must be baptized into the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, as Jesus said. Now, without baptism, that way, there's no receipt of the Holy Spirit. People may feel good. They may be uplifted for a while, be encouraged for a while, but it ends up like Paul coming to Ephesus. Remember, he came to Ephesus, Acts, the 19th chapter, and he found those who had been baptized. And he said, have you received the Holy Spirit? They said, well, we haven't even heard that there's such a thing as the Holy Spirit. And he said, well, what were you, unto what were you baptized? They said, unto John's baptism. Now, question. John's baptism was the precursor for Christ's coming, Right? But John did not have the power to give the Holy Spirit. So what did, what did Paul tell them? Well, you need to be baptized in the name of Jesus and receive the Holy Spirit. So he baptized them, laid hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit and spoke in tongues. All right? So, here's the key. Now, it is true. You have to give all your life to him. But what does that mean? And what does it mean that Christ died for you? 
And what does it mean that he took your sins? And how did he take your sins? Okay. And why could it only be him? Because he was the Lord God of the Old Testament who created all mankind. So Paul says, verse 1, What then shall we say? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? May it never be. For we who died to sin, now that's a strong statement, died to sin. That's what it has to be. Not just sorry that you've done something wrong, not just sorry that you got misled, but you see, Jonathan Kahn does not bring out that our own free choices can keep us from these evil things. Then with the power of God's Spirit, we can overcome, be converted, and prepare for the kingdom of God. So he says, we who died to sin, how do you die to sin? And that's what needs to be in this book, but it's not. How shall we live any longer therein? Or are you ignorant that we, as many as were baptized into Christ Jesus, were baptized into his death? So, in order for the death of Jesus Christ to pay for your sins and forgive them, you must be baptized into his death. That's what's important. So if you're going to warn people, especially Christians, who have the word of God, who have the Bible, that they need to know how important baptism is and keeping the commandments is. Because if you don't do that, you don't have anything to fight the gods or the demons. Okay? We were baptized into his death. Okay? For as many as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. Therefore, we were buried with him through the baptism into the death. The sacrifice of Christ is applied personally to everyone at baptism. See? But if you don't have baptism, and so I think that it's not really helping the people to not bring up about baptism in his book, but he baptizes in his Protestant segment of what he does. I question, does he really baptize with a Jewish segment? Possibly he does. I don't know. Okay. Therefore, we were buried with him through the baptism to the death, so that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, in the same way, we should walk in newness of life. For if we have been conjoined together in the likeness of his death, see how important that is. That's a real important thing. All right? Now, we'll read something here in Revelation in just a minute, how that there are some in the church of God who are not converted. Okay? In other words, their baptism was not valid if they were baptized, and they need to be baptized again, just like Acts, the 19th chapter. Now, verse 6 is key. Knowing this, this is what we're to completely understand. 
that our old man was co-crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be destroyed so that we might no longer be enslaved to sin. That's the whole purpose. See? Now, let's come to Revelation 3 here for just a minute. Let's read this. Revelation 3. And it makes you wonder how many Protestants have the Spirit of God with them, but not in them. Having the Spirit of God with you is one thing. Having the Spirit of God within you is completely different. Okay? This is the church at Laodicea. Revelation 3, verse 15. I know your works, and God always looks to your work, that you are neither cold nor hot. Does that not explain Protestantism to a T? I would that you be either cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold or hot, I will spew you out of my mouth. In other words, it's not going to happen the way that Jonathan Kahn says in his simple solution, unless there is baptism after repentance. For you say, I am rich and have need of nothing, and know not, or do not understand that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Okay. How about that? All right. I counsel you to buy from me gold purified by fire that you may be rich and white garments so that you may be clothed in the white garments of the righteousness of God, which is commandment keeping, which shows that they are not keeping the commandments the way that they should. That the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed and anoint your eyes with salve, so that you may see. Okay? Now notice the next couple of verses here, because this receives, reveals some very important things. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. That's what Jonathan Kahn's message should be. Repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Now we will see that's the door of your mind as we covered last week. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. Now that means they don't have the spirit of God within them. So they have to repent so they can receive the Spirit of God. Okay. Now then, so Jonathan Kahn needs to bring them to real repentance. Let's come to Psalm 106. Very interesting psalm. 106, it talks about Israel. 
And we need to remember as we're turning back there that God is judging all the nations all the time, Jeremiah 18, and he knows the thoughts of every man that he needs to know at any time he needs to know without any problem, okay? Concerning Israel, verse 33, Psalm 106, because they provoked his spirit so that he spoke rashly with his lips. They did not destroy the people as the Lord had commanded them. See, there was a reason God said eliminate them. See? To not be where all the demons are with those who were in the land, but mingled themselves among the nations and learned their works, and they served their idols, which were a snare to them. Yea, they sacrificed their sons and their daughters to demons. Now today, exactly as it is. Remember, God's judgment is coming upon us. One of the main reasons is abortion. 62 million firstborn and others. That blood is going to be judged upon this nation. And that's the thing that Jonathan Kahn really does not bring out. He alludes to it many times. But he doesn't say, the hand of God is judging us because of all of the slaughter of the unborn. Okay? Verse 38, they shed innocent blood, even the blood of their sons and their daughters, whom they sacrificed to the idols of Canaan, and the land is polluted with blood. And they were defiled with their works and went a-whoring after their own inventions. Okay, what we have today. Look at all the inventions we have today. We have so many things and gadgets that people have no time for God. Okay. Therefore, the wrath of God was kindled against his people and against his own inheritance. All right. Let's see how they responded. Psalm 78, and I think this describes very adequately what Jonathan Kahn's message will do. Pick it up here, Psalm 78, verse 31. Psalm 78 and verse 31. And I might just add, a lot of people today think, well, if we can just get through to the election in 2024 and Donald Trump is elected, our problems will be solved. No. Because the problems lie with the people. And God. Verse 31. The wrath of God came upon them and killed the strongest of them and uh, struck down the chosen men of Israel. For all this, they still sinned and did not believe his wonderful works. All right. Is abortion still a problem today? Are they still killing children today? 
You need to understand how God looks at that. Okay. Therefore he ended their days in vanity and their years in terror. When he slew them. Now listen to this. This is true. This is what's happening again today. Just like it is right here uh, in the word of God. And know this for sure. Whenever God's word is spoken in truth, whether it be instruction or prophecy, it is true. It doesn't make the person who speaks it a prophet. But God is the prophet speaking his words. And these are his words, so when they're read, it's the same as God talking to us. Okay? When he slew them, do we have that today? Not only abortion, but look at all the murders in all the cities. Okay? Look at all the deaths because of COVID. Look at all the problems that we're having. Okay? When he slew them, they sought him. Here they're seeking God. And they turned back and sought after God earnestly, and they remembered that God was their rock, and the Most High was their Redeemer. Nevertheless, even after that. So the question becomes, how much of an acknowledgement of God does this nation need to come to to lift the hand of his judgment? Well, only God can answer that question. Okay. But notice verse 36. Nevertheless, they flattered him with their mouths and they lied to him with their tongues. Isn't that so? And who does all the lying that causes all the lawlessness? We've read that how many times? The people, the religious teachers, and the politicians all combined. See? And where did Jonathan Kahn tell him, stop your sinning and stop your Sunday keeping and keep the Sabbath? So he's got one foot in Judaism, one foot in Protestantism, and prophets from both of them. How much help he does? Don't know. But every one of his revivals has fizzled. Why? Because he doesn't tell people to truly repent to God. And he doesn't tell them they need to be baptized. And he doesn't tell them they need to keep the Sabbath as well as the other commandments. So, we'll look at it. He's somewhere between a half-prophet to some false prophets. Okay? Now notice, nevertheless, they flattered him with their mouths. They lied to him with their tongues, for their heart was not steadfast with him. Neither were they faithful 
in his covenant. Okay? Now, the only reprieve can come is if there are enough who turn to God, then God may give a little reprieve. Okay? Don't look to any politician or any religious leader. You've got to look to God. Now, let's come to Isaiah 55. Here's what Jonathan Kahn should have in his book. If it's going to be effective and cause people to turn to God, to get away from all of the demons that are flooding the nation because of our sins. And it's right there in the Old Testament, which is New Testament doctrine. Let's begin in verse 1. Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy and eat. We'll see that because of repentance. Yea, come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for what never satisfies? Hearken diligently to me. Why couldn't Jonathan Kahn say that? Why don't you hearken diligently to the word of God? He says you come to God, but he doesn't tell him what to do. See? And eat what is good. And what is good? The word of God. And let your soul delight itself in fatness. Bow down your ear and come to me. Hear. What are you going to hear? The words of God. The words of Jesus Christ. What did Jesus say? First words out of his mouth to begin his ministry was what? Repent and believe the gospel. And the first message of the apostles at the temple when they received the Holy Spirit, repent of your sins and receive the Holy Spirit. See? Now he's done a good job explaining all the problems, but he failed miserably in bringing out what substantially needs to be done. Okay? If you do that, and your soul shall live, and I will make an everlasting covenant with you, even the mercies of David. Behold, I have given him for a witness to the people, a prince and a commander of people. Now, come down here to verse 6. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Now that's what should be in that message. Call upon him while he's near. Let the wicked forsake his way. Now he said it in an offhanded way. And the unrighteous man, his thoughts, and let him return to the Lord and he will have mercy upon him, and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Now, we almost did that, okay, by saying there's no sin that's so great that can't be forgiven, okay? 
Here's the key. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor my ways your ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. And my thoughts than your thoughts. Not an amazing statement? What does God have in mind for those 1 Corinthians chapter 2? The eye has not seen, the ear has not heard. What a God has prepared for those who love him. See? For as the rain comes down and the snow from the heavens and does not return there, but waters the earth and makes makes it bring forth and bud and give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. Now, verse 11, key verse. So shall my word be, which goes out of my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall certainly do what I send it to do. Now, that's what needs to be. We are at a critical point with this nation. Very critical point. The hand of God is there. Will he lift his hand? Even a little bit? It depends on the people. It depends on the leaders in so-called Christian churches. It depends on making every person responsible for his or her own sins, and that they must come to God, his way. And it must be, let's come to Joel, the second chapter. Let's see what this repentance has to be. It can't be a flattering to God again. It can't be Joel, the second chapter. All right. Here's what kind of repentance it needs to be. Because now we are in an all-out effort just to try and survive in this nation. And there are many forces working against us that can bring whatever God's judgment is upon us at any minute. So Jonathan Kahn should have said, God knows your thoughts and you need to turn from your evil and you need to repent of what you are doing. And since he is so well known, he could say, starting with President Biden and all the cabinet and all of the Congress and all of the governors, and all of the leaders in the land. God is calling you to repentance that you come to him and seek him with this kind of repentance. Verse 12, Joel 2, Therefore now says the Lord, 
This is what God wants. No more milly mouth asking the Lord to come into your heart. He's not going to come into your heart until you repent. He is not going to give his spirit to you in your heart and mind until you are baptized. Return to me with all your heart and with fasting and with weeping and with mourning. And God wants to see the people. Let this be preached from the pulpit in every Sunday-keeping church, and may the, the pastor or minister or speaker have enough courage of God's word to tell the congregation, because we're repenting, we're repenting of breaking the Sabbath, we're repenting of keeping his holy days. Next week, we will not have services on Sunday. You all come on the Sabbath, which is Saturday. Now, you think there would be any of that? No, if Jonathan Kahn tried that, he would lose all of his Protestant connections and money because they would declare him, he's asking them to Judaize. And the Jews would not be happy with all the Gentiles keeping the Sabbath. And they have to give up their idols, whatever they are. They have to give up all abortion everywhere. They have to establish law to take care of the lawless who are sent against us in punishment because our lawlessness against God. So that's where we are in America, okay? Rend your heart. Not your garments, return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness, and repents uh, of the evil. Now let's come back to Isaiah 56. Because this follows up on seeking the God, seeking God that we read in Isaiah 55. Okay? Isaiah 56. This is what it needs to be. See? Now is not the time for half solution. Now is not the time for mealy mouth renditions of the word of God. Because the hand of God's punishment is going to come. And you watch the next two sessions of Church at Home. Because I explain there very clearly that we're in such desperate shape, shape that the prophecies of Ezekiel with the encirclement of doom is going to happen. Isaiah 56, after he says, seek the Lord, all right? Notice what else goes along with that, verse 1. Isaiah 56, 
Thus says the Lord, keep justice and righteousness. Not all of your compromising political solutions leading to more confusion. For my salvation is near to come and my righteousness to be revealed. Now, if you want the blessing from God, when you repent, here's what he requires. Verse 2. Blessed is the one who does this, the Son of Man who lays hold of it, who keeps the Sabbath from profaning it and keeps his hand from doing evil. That's what God expects. And that's what God expects with all of his churches. No more halfway measures. See, this nation is ready to collapse. And if there is not some sort of repentance, like the Bible shows, the heavy hand of God is going to come and it is going to be an encirclement of doom and death and destruction and mayhem that the world has not seen in a long time. And all because we turned our backs on God. So Jonathan Kahn was right in that. So we'll give him credit for all the good things that he said. But he needs to go the extra mile with God. He needs to come all the way toward God, toward the Jews that he pastors and toward the Protestants that he pastors. And he could set the stage if he did it in the way that it could be done, that God would recognize that if there were thousands and thousands and thousands of people who would follow the word of God and do it, then maybe his hand would be lifted for a while. But the judgment of the blood, of the murder, of the innocent unborn, 62 million, 20% of the population of America, his hand will not be held back from that very long. So this is where we are. So Jonathan Kahn, I hope someone sends this message to you, and I hope you listen to it. And I hope that you get yourself into the Word of God and the things that you need to do because you're well-known. Because you could help people come to God in a right and a direct way. But you yourself need to come to God in complete repentance of the things that you're doing that are contrary to the Word of God and come to Him in reality and preach His Word in truth and power. Then... Maybe there can be some 
sparing of the misery that we're facing. So let's hope that you, Jonathan Kahn, can become a full and complete prophet of God by fully using his word straight from the scriptures. Amen.